Now, 10 years ago, there was a man called Timothy Henry Gray, and his body was found uh, under a bridge in Wyoming in America. And they weren't sure why he was there, they weren't sure who he was, um, but that's where a number of homeless people lived. So here he was, this man who had nothing. But his news and his um, name made the papers 10 years ago because he was the long-lost heir of somebody very rich. He was the long-lost heir of someone called Hougette Clark, who was um, rich through lots of different ways, but she had a lot of money. And that meant that this man was a long-lost heir and he, he had, in the bank, he should have had $19 million. So here was a man who was homeless, who had nothing, or was living as if he had nothing, but the reality was he was a millionaire, but he didn't know it. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because if you're trusting in Jesus this morning, spiritually, you are rich. Spiritually, you are a millionaire. But the problem is, so often, we don't realise what's in our spiritual bank account. We don't realise just how much we have. And this passage that we're looking at kind of fills out and shows and describes to us just how rich we are and how much we have if we're trusting in Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian yet and you're thinking these things through, you are invited this morning to take part and enjoy the spiritual wealth. It doesn't mean our bank account will change. It doesn't mean all of a sudden we will have all the riches of this world. But the reality is, if you had that, that wouldn't satisfy anyone, would it? Think of the richest people in this world, and they are not happy, just longing for more all the time. But spiritually this morning, you have the invitation to know deep peace and security and joy in Christ. Here, in one sense, is a spiritual lottery ticket, and it's a winning ticket, and it could be yours. That's all you have to do is trust in him. So this morning, let's pray that God will help us to see how rich we are if we're trusting in Jesus. As I said, Paul is in the middle of this glorious description of how, um, how amazing Jesus is and all that we have in him. That's the phrase that keeps coming up throughout this passage. And he is sharing this eulogy of God. Blessed be the God and Father. He is speaking well of God. He is saying, look, let me show you how great God is. Let me show you all that he has done for us. How great the gospel is and how much you have in Christ. Let me show you how significant your life is. How secure you are. How glorious it is that you're in him. And this morning we're going to look at three kind of riches, as it were, that we have in Christ. Three things. Uh, that are true for those trusting in Jesus. Now, to help us see how rich we are in Christ, to see how, and to appreciate these things, because the reality is we might know these truths that we're going, I'm going to look at this morning and explain, but we forget. What I want to do as we look through each of these points is to, to see what life would look like without it. So you know when you have a, something that is sugar-free or fat-free, do you know what you really appreciate at those moments? Sugar and fat. You think, oh, I, that's why I shouldn't, you know, we think, oh, I, I miss them because when they're taken out, we realise what we've lost. Well, this morning, as we look at these three truths that we have in Christ, we'll look at them, but then remove them and see what we wouldn't have without Christ. So the first thing, the first riches that we have in Christ is this, freedom. Look at verse seven. In him, we have redemption through his blood. In him, we have Redemption. Now, the word redemption means this, a price that is paid to set 
someone free. A price that is paid, a price that is paid to set someone free. So the readers of Ephesians would know this in the, um, in the sphere of thinking of slaves and those in slavery. If someone was a slave, then if somebody came and paid money so that they could be set free, that would be that those, that person would be redeemed. So they would no longer be a slave, but the money would be paid. That was the redemption, the price of redemption, and then they would be redeemed. They would be free. They were no longer slaves. They no longer had to listen to their, to their old master. They no longer had to do what that person said because they were free. Now, for a moment, let's, the, the Bible says that those who trust in Jesus are free. We've been redeemed. For a moment, let's imagine that isn't the case. What does that mean without Christ? Well, without Christ, if you're not in him, it means that we're slaves. It means that we're not redeemed. It means we're slaves. Now, a lot of this language is used in the Bible and talking about slavery and freedom takes us back to Exodus. Now, remember what happened in Exodus. That is where God's people, the Israelites, were slaves to the Egyptians. And they were being treated, treated horrendously. They were horrible taskmasters, the Egyptians. They remember they went and they were killing all of the babies there. And they were making them do horrible things. They were beating them, they were mistreating them. They were making their workload um, really heavy. And they cried out to God. And God sent Moses to, to save them. And this is what he says in, God says in Exodus 6. Say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. God says, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to set you free. And instead of being slaves to them, you'll be free and you'll be mine. See, the Bible tells us that naturally, our state is that we're slaves. Jesus said, he who sins is a slave to sin. We just can't help but say no. Now, this morning, we might think, oh, I'm not a slave. I'm free, aren't I? But the Bible says we are wired to worship God. We were made with him to be number one in our lives. And if we push him out, we're going to try and find what we only can get from God elsewhere. So we try and find our peace, our comfort, and our purpose, and our meaning, and our fulfillment everywhere else but God. And the problem is we end up serving whatever we put in God's place. We become a slave to our idol, to our little G God. So it means that we have walked out on God. It means that this new God becomes our boss and we do whatever it says. Look at the, the, the phrase used, or the word used in verse 7. Um, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That means we've crossed a line. We've gone over a boundary that we shouldn't have. When we ignore God, when we push God out of our lives, we've crossed that boundary. We have, um, instead of being free, which God wants us to be, we've gone away from him. And we are now stuck. We are in slavery. So one way to picture it is this. Imagine a train driver. And the train driver is going down the tracks and in the tracks, they are thinking, you know what? I'm a bit bored. I'm a bit bored of these tracks. I don't want to go in the tracks anymore. Look at that field over there. That field looks really interesting. That field looks like um, where I want to go. So instead of going down the tracks, they turn off the tracks and go in the field. What happens? Is that train free? 
Well, no, that train is now stuck in the mud, stuck in the middle of the field, can't go anywhere because it was designed to go on the tracks. That's where it's free. That's where it flies. That's where it not flies, but that's where it, it, it knows where it should be. That's where it was created to be. In the same way we were created to be in this relationship with God. That's where we're free. And anywhere else we end up in slavery, anywhere else we are stuck. So as humanity, we've gone off the tracks. We think we know what's best. We think, oh, I don't listen to God. I want to go my own way. And we're ended up now, we are slaves. And we do whatever our idols say. Maybe today your idol, what you think is life is all about is pleasure. And so you will do whatever it takes for that pleasure. You will sacrifice anything to get that comfort. Maybe your idols become work and you will do whatever work says. You will work all the hours you have, even if it means sacrificing relationships and family and everything, because work is the most important thing. Maybe it's pleasing other people. You just want other people to like you and so you will do whatever it is to fit in, even if it means doing things you're uncomfortable with. We think we're in control. We think we're free. We think we're making the decisions, but actually we're being ruled. We are slaves. You know, we think we're free, don't we? It's interesting if you, one way, another way of showing this is when you look back at old photos. If you look back at old photos, you think, oh, look what I'm wearing there. That's funny, isn't it? I look strange wearing those clothes. How could I have worn that? Or you look at maybe the style of um, wallpaper in your house or something, I don't know, or something, that, and you think, oh, I would never have that up now. Things have changed. We thought we were making a decision about our clothes on our own. We thought we were making these decisions about our fashion, our styles, but we were being shaped by what was around us, weren't we? We weren't free. We listen and we follow. Jesus says we're slaves. We're not free. And we end up being just stuck. Another word for it would be called an addict. We just can't stop. And Jesus says, if, you're, if, you're a, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. You need a redeemer. You need to be set free. So how can we be set free? If we're all slaves, how can we be set free? Well, verse 7 tells us, in him we have redemption. How? Through his blood. Again, back to Exodus. Here they were, the slaves in Egypt. And God says, I'm going to set you free. And it was the night of the Passover. And what would happen is the family knew that every firstborn male in um, Egypt was going to be killed that night. Unless there was another death in that house. Unless the lamb was killed. And then as the lamb was killed, the blood was put on the doorposts. And as the blood was put on the doorpost, that house was then safe. The firstborn was safe. Now, imagine as the Israelites left Egypt, what that firstborn would be thinking. How thankful that firstborn would be for the lamb. If it wasn't for the lamb, I'd be dead. If it wasn't for the lamb, I'd still be a slave. If it wasn't for the lamb, I'd still be stuck. I, the lamb has set me free. Well, in the same way we think about Jesus, Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood. He took the consequences of our rebellion and our slavery. He was bound and punished and his blood was shed so we could be free. When Jesus rose again, he broke sin's power. When Jesus rose again, he set us free. Now, as we hear that, we think, so if you trust in Jesus, Jesus redeemed me, set me free. You might think, well, the problem is I still fail. I still seem to end up doing what I don't want to do. The old habits are still there. But the problem is we get so used to being slaves that we forget that we're actually free. We're so used to saying yes to our idols that we forget that we can say no. And 
Another thing this morning is this. God is reminding us you are free. Uh, one way of thinking of it would be to imagine a time where you go to another country and the time zone is different. Yeah, so you have to change your, um, your watch and your clock and you think, right, you get there and you feel like it's the middle of the night, but actually it's the middle of the day. So you have to tell yourself, no, whatever I feel now, the reality is it is lunchtime. So I need to go and try and eat lunch, even though I feel like I need to be in bed. Now, I tell myself my status has changed, my, my location has changed, and so I need to uh, bring my kind of feelings and my life in line with that. So when we think of that today, when the temptations come, when we feel the pull, when we're aware that we're drifting away from God, we need to look at the blood that was shed and say, I'm free. I don't need to listen anymore. I can say no. Now, this morning, if you're trusting in Jesus, are you living as a slave or as somebody who is free? Are you living as somebody who is saying no uh, to sin and yes to Jesus? Maybe if you're not a Christian, can you see maybe this morning that you're stuck, that you are a slave, that you haven't been as free as you thought you were? Jesus says, let me set you free. In him, there is redemption through his blood. Let's turn to him. Let's remember our status of being free. So the first thing we see, the first riches we have in Christ is that we are free. The second thing is this, we are forgiven. So very closely connected to being free, kind of the two sides of the same coin as it were in verse seven. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. The forgiveness of our trespasses. So again, let's, when you trust in Jesus, we are being told that you are forgiven. So let's take that away for a minute. If you don't have that, what do you have? You have guilt. You have shame. If we remember um, what we've already seen, we've seen we have trespassed. We have crossed that boundary, crossed that line. We have done what is wrong and we stand guilty before God. We have failed. We've let him down. We have broken his heart. God has seen all our faults and failures. He knows everything we've done, thought, uh, word, and deed. And before him, we stand guilty. He's seen the darkest part of our hearts. Those things that we don't want anybody else to know about, he has seen. Now this morning, perhaps you're very aware of failure in your life. This morning, perhaps you're very aware of uh, what you've done and you feel deep shame and regret over the years of the things that have gone on the ways in which you've hurt those around you, the ways in which you have let others down. And maybe this morning, as we bring these things up and think God sees everything and remind you of that truth, you just feel a weight of guilt, a weight of shame. You're aware you've broken God's heart. You're aware of what you've done. What do you do with that guilt and that shame? What do you do with that burden that you carry? Well, sometimes we can just try and ignore it, try and just push it to the side, and try and carry on regardless. And our heart just gets harder and harder and harder. Other times we might try and make up for it. You think of the guilt and the shame, so we try and make ourselves feel better by doing more good. And so we think, right, if I can just um, do more good things this week, then I'll balance it out. But again, we just seem to do more bad than good, and we know we can never make up for those wrong, the wrong we've done. But this passage is telling us, when you put your trust in Jesus, we don't have to ignore it, we have to try and make up for it because when you are redeemed, the price has been paid and you are forgiven. It has been wiped clean. All the wrong you've done, all the stuff you've done in the past, Jesus says, 
it's gone, it's dealt with, I have forgiven it. I remember here in uh, Gareth, remember Gareth came when we had uh, Curry Knight and he was an atheist and he, God saved him wonderfully. But part of his testimony, I remember him saying, was that um, he just was aware of his failure. Just slowly over the years, he was just being made aware of how he'd let those around him down and just felt this guilt. And here he was one day, he went along to church with his wife and he was, they were singing this uh, the hymn together and these words jumped out to him. I don't know if he'd sung them before, but these words jumped out as they sang, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. And he says, I just couldn't sing it. I just couldn't carry on because in that moment, I knew that I had done wrong, but I knew that Jesus could forgive me. This morning, if you're a Christian, can you see that the riches you have in Christ, you are forgiven All the wrong you've done is gone. The past sin, the present sin, even the future sin is all covered by the cross and by the blood of Jesus. You are forgiven. And that means there is no more guilt and shame to carry. We leave it at the cross. Jesus experienced the guilt and the shame that you deserve so that you wouldn't have to. He experienced that dirtiness and that that burden. He took it from us. And now that means that you are free, that you are forgiven, and there is no more to pay. But again, this morning, we might think, well, you might say I'm forgiven, but I keep messing up. I keep failing. And I just kind of pick up that burden again and feel the shame. Surely God has run out of patience with me, has he? Surely there can't be any more forgiveness left for me. But look what we're told about his forgiveness. In verse 7, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The, the, The forgiveness that comes from God is coming according to his riches. Now that is great news. It doesn't say it is coming from his riches, but according to his riches. Now Elon Musk is apparently the richest man in the world at the moment. He is currently worth around $260 billion dollars. And if you were to go up to Elon Musk and say, can you give me something from your riches? That would not be as good as asking, could you give me something according to your riches? If he gives you something from his riches, he could give you 50 pence. But if he gives according to his riches, he is showing you like like a percentage of it. Then, now we're talking, then you could get a lot of money out of him. Jesus, we're told here that God in his kindness has given forgiveness according to his riches. And look what it says next in verse eight, which he has lavished upon us. He has lavished this grace upon us. There is loads of it. There is, uh, it'll never stop. So perhaps you think of the the grace of God is kind of like, or forgiveness that God gives us is kind of like a, a trickle. If you've ever been in a shower where maybe somebody's put the tap on and suddenly you've got just this drip, you know, and you have to run around to get wet, or you've been in a, maybe in a bed and breakfast and you think, oh, it's not a very good shower, and you think, oh dear, and you, you really struggle to get wet. Maybe sometimes we think God's forgiveness is like that. I'll just get enough, just enough to cover me, maybe if, if, if I'm good enough. But you see what this is saying? He is lavish in his grace. It is a waterfall. It is a Niagara Falls of forgiveness and grace that God gives us. And, and there is, it is never ending. So that means you are free and you are forgiven. And we need to realise our sin has been dealt with. 
And when we grasp that our sin has been dealt with, suddenly it loses its power. Suddenly we see how great and wonderful Jesus is. And we don't need to listen anymore to our, our past master because Jesus is better. We are forgiven. We are free. Now, maybe this morning you are not a Christian and you feel guilt and shame for your past and what you've done. And you wonder where to turn. You've been trying to cover it. You've been trying to ignore it. You've been trying to better yourself or do something. Jesus says this morning, stop. Bring it to me. Cast it all on me and I will deal with it. That's why he died. And he took the punishment we deserve. The punishment for sin is death. Jesus died on the cross and he rose again to say, I've paid it in full. It is gone. Trust him today. And you can leave here today knowing you're forgiven, knowing you are right with him. No ifs, buts or maybes, sorted, dealt with. So do you see the riches that we have in Christ? We are free. We are forgiven. But the last one I wanted to look at comes in verse 8. In verse 8. He has lavished this wisdom, sorry, in verse 8, 9 and 10, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So in all wisdom and insight, he is making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So God is giving us wisdom and insight into something into this mystery. We're going to think about his mystery a bit more in uh, later chapters in Ephesians. But here we're seeing the mystery here that has been unfolded to us is how God rescues and saves everyone and how one day Jesus is going to fix everything. So we have been given this insight into this glorious mystery of God's salvation and his plan is to one day fix everything. And who's going to fix it? Jesus Christ. It's all going to come together under him. He is the key. He's the one who's going to sort it all out. And every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is the king. He's the Lord. And everything will be united together in him. That's what verses 9 and 10 are telling us. As Colossians 1 puts it. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, for a moment, let's take that away. Let's see what it's like without that. If that is not true, or if we don't have this, then that means there is no future hope. There is no future hope. We have hopelessness. This world is spiralling out of control, and there is no plan, no purpose, nothing ahead of us but darkness. It's just a mess, as we see, and there is nothing and no hope uh, for the future. We're in the middle and we're at the mercies of these random things that are happening all around us, these cruel things. And the only hope we've got is us pulling ourselves together and getting us through it. Maybe this morning that's how you feel. You're aware and you think, well, there is no hope for me in the future. There's just darkness and I can't pull myself together and I can't sort this out and I have had it. This morning, Jesus offers us something greater. Here we're told, in Christ, even though this world is a mess, it isn't heading nowhere. Even though it seems like everything's chaotic and, uh, uh, um, uh, and dark and there seems to be no hope, God is in control and he is bringing it to his purpose. 
He is going to fix everything. He's going to take away all tears. He's going to take away all death, all sin, all temptations, all injustice, all sickness, all pain, all frustrations, all the sadness is going to go and he will fix it. And there is light at the end. Now, as we think of the riches we have, knowing that and having that insight and wisdom to that being the end, do you see how how much that helps us? Just personally think of that in your life. Now, this isn't easy. This isn't something that is just a quick fix, as it were. But think through of the confusion and the mess in our lives, the turmoil that we can go through. This is telling us there is a bigger picture. This isn't the end of the story. We can only see our chapter, but God sees the whole thing. So we're in this middle of a chapter and we're thinking, I don't get it. I don't understand what is going on. I don't know what God is up to. I don't know what's happening here. But God sees it all. So in one sense, you can imagine it like, imagine you're looking at a river and you can see a boat along a river. And as you look ahead to this river, it kind of goes behind the mountain and you can't see it anymore. We can just see it from one part. But God sees all. He sees the whole river and the boat going and where it's going to end up. He sees the whole vista and we can only see a very small part of it. God sees it all. And he is bringing it to a purpose. Bringing it all together in Christ. To see how that helps with the, the mess and the struggle that we're in right now. I remember reading of an Italian artist called uh, Giulia Bernadelli. And she's an artist, and one day she went to her canvas and she accidentally knocked over her coffee onto her canvas. What did she do? Well, instead of kind, of kind of throwing away the canvas and saying, right, I'll start again, she picked up a spoon and she started to move the coffee around the canvas and she started to use it to create this picture. And now she makes artwork from spilt coffee and turns it into this beautiful picture. Well, in a much more greater and profound way, God can use things that look like a mess and a spill in our life. And he doesn't just say, oh, we'll scrap that. No, he uses it and moves things and uses things for our good and for his glory. As I said, that isn't easy and it's not a quick fix, but it is something to hold in our minds and hold on to when we feel in the middle of a mess and a struggle and turmoil And we see God is bringing this to a purpose. There is purpose and reason behind this. He is masterfully creating a beautiful picture. As I said, we just see the mess. We just see the chapter that we're in. God sees the whole story. Let's take these truths, this wisdom and insight that God gives us, that Christ is the Lord of history. He is bringing together all things in the fullness of time to this purpose and we can trust him. Personally, that makes a big difference in our life. But as a church, it helps us as well, doesn't it? Remember the Ephesian church? There they were, these small group of Christians living in the shadow of the great temple where people travelled from all around the world to worship this false god. They felt intimidated. They felt small. They felt irrelevant. Look whose side they're on. Paul wants to say, look whose side you're on. You're in Christ, the one who is the purpose and the reason for all of history. So when you go and tell people about Jesus, it's not just saying, oh, here's some advice. Here's some tips for life. It's not just saying, here's a suggestion. But we are heralds of the good news. 
the one who rules the universe, who is one day going to bring it all together, he wants you to know something. That he has done everything needed for you to be right with him. For you to be part of his plan for when everything is fixed, you can be made new on this world and enjoy him. Enjoy the gifts he gives us because he has done it. He has died. He has risen again. He is our saviour. Do you see the, the shift in mindset? This isn't just one thought or idea that fits into lots of others. No, no, no. This is the overarching reason for existence, Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, the life. There's nobody else. There's hope and there's no forgiveness found in nobody else but Jesus Christ. He's the reason for it all. So instead of these Christians feeling small and insignificant and nobody, suddenly they're aware they are heralds of this great news. When we hold out the message of the gospel, we are telling people glorious news. Glorious news of the reason and the purpose and the, the goal of the universe. Let's pray for the boldness and the courage we need to be able to tell people that. To hold that out lovingly, uh, gently, wisdom, wincefully, wincefully, graciously. We hold it all out for him, for his glory. When we put all these things together, isn't it amazing to think? The one who history is all about, the one who holds all the power and the direction of history in the palm of his hand, as it were, was the one who willingly let go of his power and authority. The king of all subjected himself to life in this world, who subjected himself to being killed and tortured and he gave his life up for us. We rejected God. We've got ourselves enslaved and trapped and addicted and full of shame and guilt. But Jesus came down to pay the price, to shed his blood, to set us free, to forgive us so that we could know and be sure that we're part of his plan and for the whole of the universe. Do you see why Paul wants to say, look, praise be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, are you living as a free person, as a forgiven person, as somebody who has this future hope? These are our riches. Let's not live a, a fat-free, sugar-free life, as it were, when we could have this riches. Let's not live as homeless people um, without riches when in our spiritual bank account we have everything. Today, the invitation, enjoy the riches in Christ. Maybe for the first time today, you need to do that and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. Maybe you need to um, renew that this morning and say, Lord, I've forgotten my riches. Help me to live in the light of these truths. Help me to live as a spiritual millionaire in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which is to set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in heaven and things on earth.